It is time for the Word of God, and I'm going to ask if you would open your Bibles to Psalm 31, Psalm 31, and we're going to read verse 5, but I want to ask God's blessing uh, on our time in His Word today. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're our strength and you're our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Psalm, the 31st division of Psalm, verse 5. Listen to what God's word says. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Into your hand I commit my spirit. I want to talk about it's in the Lord's hand now. We're dealing with this series concerning God, that God has the whole world in his hand. And since God has the whole world in his hand, you and I have to have enough wherewithal to take all that we are and commit it to the hand of God. It's in the Lord's hand now. Walking down the street, driving in a car, sitting on a sofa in your house, lying in a bed in your house, sleeping in a car in public. Those are just a few of the ways that black people in the United States have been killed by those who suppose to protect and serve. Those are just a few ways that have come to light about how police officers kill black people. And we know that this has been going on for a long time, not just with George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, but this has been going on for a while, even before we had cameras, even before we had videotapes readily available to us. We would hear black and brown people crying out about the pro police brutality. As a matter of fact, it's going back even further than that. 400 years in the United States of America, longer than 400 years, having to deal with this systemic racism every day for 400 years. And these are the life experiences of black and brown people in America. As a consequence, and then there is the possibility for a lot of anger and the possibility for a lot of frustration and depression and hopelessness and helplessness and tears and crying and fatigue because of the life experiences of oppression every day. I wanted to bring that up because I wanted you to get an understanding of the context in which Psalm 31 was written. David is the writer of Psalm 31, and we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and God inspired David to write Psalm 31. And when you read Psalm 31, you, you hear about the life experiences that David has had. And he talks about the plots against him and the attacks against him. And he talks about the social injustice. He talks about the hurts and the pains and the distress. Distress is to be in a tight, in a jam between, uh, between a rock and a hard place. He talks about the troubles and the tribulations and the heartaches and, and the hard times and the difficulties that he has gone through. And as a consequence of that, he, in Psalm 31, he brings up the depression. He brings up the inner anxiety, the, the concerns. 
He brings up the anger. He brings up the misunderstandings. He, he, I want you to understand the context in which he has written Psalm 31. With all of those trials and troubles, with all those problems and pains, with all those hurts and harassments, because a lot of us are going through that right now. And David in Psalm 31 it opens as a prayer. Matter of fact, Psalm 31 is a prayer. And from the very beginning, he begins to pray out to God because he's teaching you and I that in the midst of difficulties and hardships, we got to learn how to take it to the Lord in prayer. He said, God, I need you to incline your ear unto me. God, I need you to listen to me. I, I need you to answer me. I need you to show up for me. I need you to protect me. And he prays to God, God, I need you to be my rock and my refuge. I need you to be my rock, my source of strength, my safety, dear God. I, I need you to be my refuge, that hiding place for me, my fortress. And he's praying. We got to learn how to take it to the Lord in prayer. I, I was at a, a town hall meeting, and they had police officers and elected health officials, social uh, elected government officials, and they had um, social justice leaders there and ministers, and they had this platform, and it was this before the pandemic, still dealing with police brutality even before George Floyd. And so it was, it was a bunch of people there, open, anybody could say anything or ask the panel questions. And while we were trying to deal with police brutality and the gunning down of black and brown people who are unarmed and in many cases innocent and then no consequence to those who are doing it, an old lady got up and said, whatever else we do, we need to learn how to pray. We better make sure whatever we decide on as a solution, this old lady said, we better include prayer. We need God in this. And then when she sat down, the very next person was a young man. And the young man got up matter-of-factly and said, prayer is okay, but we need something practical to handle this. Watch what he said, so matter-of-factly. Prayer is okay, but we need something practical. And in those situations, I normally allow the community to voice themselves, but I had to say something because I didn't want that young man thinking that prayer is not practical. And I don't want you thinking that in the midst of all the hell that's going on that, that prayer is not practical. Prayer is practical. Prayer is pragmatic. Prayer does work. Here's what the Bible says. The effectual and effective, the effectual and effective and fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. The effectual, yes, Prayer is effective. Uh, availeth much. Yeah, prayer gets much done. Prayer is practical. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. It's practical. It's pragmatic. It gets things done. It works. And we need to learn how to pray. I'm with that old lady now. We got to include prayer in all the protests and all the march and all of our resistance and all the civil disobedience. We better make sure that prayer is a part of this. Jesus said, ask, you shall receive, seek, you shall find, knock, and the door shall be open unto you. Ask, yes, ask, because prayer is about receiving. Seek, knock, yeah, because you have to participate in the prayer. If you're not willing to be a part of the answer to the prayer, you're really not praying at all. You're asking because prayer is about receiving, but seeking, knocking, that's participating. When I'm really praying for laws to change and policies to change and social justice and equality, 
yo, if I'm not willing to be a part of the answer to it, if I'm not seeking and knocking, I'm just asking, then it's really not praying because prayer is practical. Prayer gets a lot done. And prayer, it is receptive. Ask, you shall receive. But prayer is not just receptive. Prayer is, is, is about revelation. Prayer is a reminder. In verse 2, the psalmist, Psalm 31, David said, I need you to be my rock. I need you to be my fortress. And that's what he's praying and asking for that. And then in verse 3, the very next breath, he says, you are my rock. You are my fortress. Wait a minute. He's asking God, you be my fortress. You be my rock. You be the one who holds me. You be the one who secures me and protects me. And then the very next breath, he says, you are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my strength. That's because what prayer did, it revealed who God was. Prayer was a reminder. The very thing you're asking for God, you already have. The very thing you want God to be to you, he already is that to you. And prayer then reminded him of what he already had. When you believe Jesus died on the cross, you believe God raised him from the dead, the Holy Spirit moves inside of you. Your sins are forgiven. God is your father. Jesus is your big brother. And he does become your rock. He's the, the rejected stone that became the chief cornerstone. He's the rock of our salvation. In the book of Romans, God says that, uh, that I gave this rock, this rock of, it would become a rock of stumbling to some and a stone of offense to others. But everyone who believes on him will not be disappointed. But this psalmist, what he was praying for, Prayer reminded him he already had it. What he wanted God to be to him, prayer revealed to him, he already is that to you. Uh, Y'all, we got to make sure we include prayer. I, 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 my sons tell me I can no longer say I'm low-tech. They walked out on the, on the front porch on Sunday. They saw me out there with a laptop and an iPad and an iPhone and everything was on. And I went and purchased this speaker because I, I got different locations and different offices. So I got a portable speaker that... And then something happened with my charger with the speaker. I connected to my devices uh, through Wi-Fi, but something happened to the charger. So this thing is down to zero. Now I can't get any sound out of it. And I asked my younger son, KJ, to do something with my laptop while he was working on it. He plugged my, my speaker into the USB connection in the laptop. And I come out and I hear music playing through the... I said, man, how you doing this? That thing had no juice. It had no power. Something wrong with the cord. I keep saying I'm going to buy a new cord. I'm going to get online and get one. I'll run to the store. And I kept procrastinating. And it dawned on me he had plugged it into the USB connection in the laptop. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. I thought I had to go to the store. I thought I had to go online. I thought I had to order this thing in to get sound and, and, and to get a connection. Not realizing I already had that with the USB connection with the laptop. I needed a revelation. I needed a reminder. What you're trying to get somewhere else, you already have it. That's my word to somebody. You've given your faith to Jesus. God is your father. Jesus is your big brother. And I know in these crazy times that you need a rock and a fortress and a refuge. And I want to remind you, like in prayer, it's a revelation. It reminds that you already have all of that in God. He begins to pray. And then he says in the prayer, pull me out of this trap. You and I have to trust that God will pull us out of this trap, he calls it. I want to read that to you in Psalm 31 in verse 4. Listen to what it says. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. 
you are my strength. Pull me out. He's, when you're reading Psalm 31, he keeps talking about trust and confidence in the Lord. And he has enough trust in the Lord to believe that God will pull him out of what he called a trap, a net that they would use to catch birds in that day. And since it's a net, it's a trap, it didn't get there accident, accidentally. It got there intentionally. This is intent. It, it, this trap didn't happen by chance. It's by choice. It is intentional choice of somebody to trap him. That's what we're trying to get across to people in the United States, those of us who are black and brown, uh, that what we see with these systems, whether it is uh, the policies of the police, the, the policing system, or economic system that ignores communities of black and brown and poor people, or whether it is a system where food uh, deserts end up in, in poor neighborhoods, or whether it is an uh, educational system where resources are taken from poor communities and taken to the wealthiest communities in the state. These are systems, and it is not by accident. It is by intent. It's a trap. It's a net. It's a snare that people are making these policies and decisions in order to, he uses, distress us, to put us in a tight, in a jam, in a fix, to have us between a rock and a hard place, to have us hitting rock bottom. But here's what, here's what David said. I trust God that you will pull us out of this trap. That's my word to you today. Yes, it's a mess. Yes, it's intentional. Yes, there are those that want to perpetuate these policies to push us out and down. But I want you to have enough trust that you trust God though you are trapped. You keep trusting God though you're in trouble. Keep trusting God though you're in tribulation because God has the power to pull us out. That's what hope is. Hope is expectation that things will get better. And I believe that God can do it, and I believe God can do it because uh, God has a history of pulling uh, people out of traps. <laughs> He's got it. You can always tell what somebody's going to do based on what they've always done, what they've already done. And when I look at what God has already done, God is in the business. He's got a history of pulling people out of traps. Uh, he pulled Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, Y'all call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of a trap of a fiery furnace. The Lord did that. The Lord pulled Daniel out of a trap he was in in the lion's den. And then the Lord pulled Peter out of a trap uh, that he was trapped between four guards and in prison. But God sent an angel and brought him out of that trap. Uh, God pulled Paul and Silas out of a trap. you talking about prayer is not practical. They prayed and sang at midnight, and God sent an earthquake and pulled them out of that trap. And I can testify in my own life on more than one occasion when I found myself distressed in a tight, in a jam, between a rock and a hard place. The God I served showed up because of my trust in him and pulled me out of the trap. I know what you, your issue is because it's taken so long. A preacher, you even said it's been more than 400 years of oppression for black people in America, and now you're telling us to trust God to pull us out of the trap. See, those of us who are Christians, and we accept the Bible as the authority of God and the truth of God, we need to learn how to read that Bible right. You can't just hold the Bible up and use it as a prop. Open it up and read it and have some understanding of the context in which God moved. 400 years of oppression, 
in the United States for black people, now you've given up on God and given up hope. When you read your Bible, you'll discover that the Hebrew people had been in slavery and oppression in Egypt for more than 400 years. And after more than 400 years, that's when God sent that prophet named Moses and he said, tell the people that I have seen their affliction, I've heard their cries, and I've come down to answer them. I've come down to rescue them. I've come down to deliver them. But it was after more than 400 years, and we celebrate that deliverance. You know, we just got to wait on God. And sometimes God doesn't move in the time we wish he would move. But I do know this, God will move, and I'm trusting him. I have the confidence to know he'll pull us out of this trap even after 400 years. Then preacher, what else do I need to do? Well, here the psalmist said in verse 5, he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Into your hand I commit my life. Into your hand I commit my soul. Yes, it's problems. Yes, it's pain. Yes, it's difficulty. Yes, there are plots against me. All of this in, in, in Psalm 31. But David said, even in the midst of all hell breaking loose, into your hand I commit my spirit, my soul, my life in your hand. That's what you need to make sure you're doing. You're putting your soul in the hand of God. In, in verse 9, he says, I cried until my tears were wasted. I cried until my eyes were wasted. Eyes waste? Yeah, that, we say, I cried my eyes out. And when he cried his eyes out in verse 9, he said, even to the point of my soul, even to the point of my body. He said, all this stuff I was going through, these life experiences affected my soul and my body. My soul? Yeah, the soul is made up of mind, emotion, and will. The soul is made up of the intellectual, the emotional, and the volitional. The soul is what you think, feel, and do. And anybody who's not saved, if your soul is not saved, uh, then your soul is lost, your soul is dead. And that soul that doesn't have life is made up of mind, emotion, and will. That means your mind is darkened, that your emotions are distorted, that your will is deadened. You couldn't obey God even if you tried to because your soul is dead. Mind, emotion, and will. And he said, not only did it affect my soul, but verse 9 said, it affected my body. And I'm not surprised at that because the mind and the body are so closely related until they catch each other's diseases. And if you keep messing with a person's mind and keep messing with a person's emotions, eventually it's going to get to their body. You hear government officials in offices, as a matter of fact, the vice president of the United States of America, blaming black people because the coronavirus has impacted black and brown communities more than any other community. And then he blamed the victim, said that we need to take care, uh, better care of our bodies. No, our minds and our bodies so closely related, they catch each other's diseases. Our emotions impact our bodies. You can't oppress a community. You can't have these racist policies. You can't have police officers beating down black and brown people who are innocent and then no consequence to them and then blamed black people because something wrong with your body. You cannot take resources from tax money invested in other communities and don't have any economic development. You're talking about food deserts. We got job deserts and employment deserts and economic deserts. 
and then no grocery stores in our communities, but you want our bodies to be healthy. We have no healthy food options, no affordable healthy food options. Then you blame us from all this oppression that has impacted our minds. It showed up in our bodies as well. And that's what, he, that's what the psalmist is saying. He said, in the midst of all that, I put all that in the Lord's hand. He said, yes, it's messed up, it's jacked up, but it's in the Lord's hands now. I took my soul, my mind, my emotions, my will, and I put it, I committed it to the Lord's hand because that soul that was dead, but when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and your soul is saved, remember soul is mind, emotion, and will, and when your soul is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, then your, your mind is motivated, your, your, your mind is enlightened, that, that your mind is captivated, that your emotions are motivated, that your will is activated, and now you can start living in a way that God is pleased, you're blessed, and the community is blessed as well. But take your life, your soul, your body, and everything you have, and put it in the Lord's hand. And wait a minute, in verse 9, he says that, that I also put my times in the Lord's hand. I, I, uh, in verse 15, verse 15, in Psalm 31, verse 15, it says, My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. My times are in your... I'm not just putting my... I'm not just putting my life in your hands. I'm putting my times in the, in the hand of the Lord. Times? When I first saw that, I, read, I, was, I was reading it, and I came across putting my times in the Lord's hand. I was thinking... Uh, uh, good times and bad times. I was thinking up times and down times. In Psalm 31, he's living life in extremes. There were times he's in poverty and times he's in prosperity. But regardless of the time, he put it in God's hand. In times and out times, right times and wrong times. I'm thinking that whatever's happening in the time, I'm putting that in God's hand. And then when I read Psalm 31 and 15 from the message translation, it says, I'm putting my future in the Lord's hand. So the time is is future. It's, uh, it's, but wait a minute. Time is not just future. It's past and present and future. So to put the times in God's hand, I put my past times in his hand. I put my present time in his hand. I put my future time all in the hand. It's in the Lord's hands now. Then the Holy Spirit said, Jeffrey Johnson, you sure are trying to make Psalm 31 and 15 more difficult than it is. When he said times, it just means times. It just put your times in the Lord's hand. That's second to second. That's minute to minute, that's hour to hour, that's day to day, that's week to week, that's month to month, that's year to year, that's decade to decade, that there is no day or time that I'm not putting my life in the hand of the Lord. And when you do that, that you're praying and your life is in his hand, God will pull us out of what we're dealing with and what we're facing. Uh, when I was a youngster, my cousin Carl and I, we, I'm a couple of years older than him, so, uh, but we would always be together. So I would be at his house, and his mom uh, would be babysitting uh, me, and i hang out with Carl. He'd be at my house, and my mom would be babysitting us. And, and I remember when my aunt and uncle bought my cousin Carl uh, this big blow-up clown called Bozo the Clown. I know you don't know him in the 21st century, but he was very popular back then when I was a youngster. Bozo the Clown. And my uncle and I bought my cousin one, and this Bozo the Clown had that round bottom at the, as a part of it. And we would go over there, and we would push Bozo the Clown down, and Bozo the Clown would bounce back up and stand. 
and then we would punch Bozo the Clown. He'd go down and come back up and stand. And then when my aunt would turn her back, we judo chop Bozo the Clown, and we kick Bozo the Clown, and we jump on Bozo the Clown. And whatever we did to Bozo the Clown, whatever we did, he would always bounce back and stand. And I didn't find out till later, it wasn't just the round bottom that helped make that happen. Uh, but the creators of Bozo the Clown had placed something way down inside of Bozo the Clown that no matter what we did to him, no matter what punches, no matter how much brutality and violence we brought to him, whatever we did, he may go down, but he would always bounce back and stand because what was inside of him. And here's what I want you to get. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit moved inside of us. And that doesn't prevent people from taking shots at us and punching us and kicking us and brutally attacking us. But what it does mean is even when all that's over, we still bounce back. We still going to stand. Because if the creators of Bozo know how to put something in him to get him to stand even after he goes through what he goes through, how much more shall our Heavenly Father, his Holy Spirit inside of us, helps us. To, you don't have to give up and throw in the towel, hold up the white flag of surrender and turn to drugs and alcohol. No, you have God's Holy Spirit. You can bounce back. And with that Bozo the Clown, when my cousin and I, when we got tired of beating him down and got tired of attacking Bozo, and we walk away, Bozo would still be standing there with a big old smile on his face. And I'm trying to tell you, we're going to get pulled out. God is going to raise us up. God is going to help us to bounce back. And when it's all said and done, we'll still be standing and still have joy because the, the joy I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. And this, this, this prayer, this into the Lord's hand, it was not just personal. I know in Psalm 31, it's a lot of what God did for me and I, but it's not just personal. It's also social. When David wrote Psalm 31, it was to be included in worship. It was a song that they would sing. It was lessons that they would learn because it wasn't just personal. It's social. It's for a faith community. And that's what I'm trying to get across to us, that not only do you and I need to put our lives in the hand of God, but we got to share that. we got to help other people to know that whatever's going on in society, whatever's going on in community, that we need to put our faith in the hand, of our lives in the hand of God. It's social. That faith community would embrace that message. And it's multi-generational. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Y'all, the Hebrew mothers and fathers, the parents, would teach Psalm 31 and 5 to their children. And they would teach, into thy hands, that's a prayer, I commit my spirit. The same way our parents used to teach us, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The same way our parents taught us that, that's what Hebrew parents taught their children. It's multi-generational. They pass that faith and trust and confidence in God from one generation to the next so that when their children became adults and got in trouble, they didn't turn to drugs and alcohol. They didn't turn to sexual promiscuity. They didn't turn to depression. They turned to the Lord because they had been taught as youngsters that we can put our life in God's hand. It's multi-generational. Y'all, you and I got to spend time with our children and grandchildren and pass on our confidence and our trust that we have in God so that when hard times hit, that they're not suicidal, that they know that they can get in God's hand. It's, it's personal. 
if social, is multi-generational, and it lasted even all the way to Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross in the Gospel of Luke, one of the seven last sayings he said, he quoted Psalm 31 and 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Evidently his mother and father poured into him that Jesus, as a youngster, when you catch in hell, you don't have to lose your mind. You don't have to turn to depression. You don't have to give up on life. When you're catching hell, you can always trust God. And at the most difficult time of his life, he quotes Psalm 31, into your hand I commit my spirit. And I want you to understand the context of that too. Because remember in the book of Revelation, here's, here's the description of Jesus in the book of Revelation. His hair is like lamb's wool. I used to point to my hair when I would say that. Now I got my pandemic haircut. I can't point to my hair anymore. But when I let it grow out, it's like lamb's wool. That's what it says to describe Jesus. His hair is like lamb's wool. And it says that his skin like polished brass. I can still point to that. His skin like polished brass. And then the white preachers and the white pastors would try to tell us it's an allegory. It's an illustration. It didn't mean that his hair was like lamb's wool. It didn't mean his skin was, no, that, that's literal. That's not no, uh, no allegory. That's literal. His hair was like lamb's wool. His skin was like polished black brass. Here is a black man, Jesus, who now has to address a social injustice system. He has to address a judicial system with injustices where they, here's a black man, and they arrest him. Matter of fact, Jesus has this, this um, peaceful protest. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a peaceful protest because he wants the kingdom of God to come and, and to uh, establish the rule of reign and the righteousness of God, with, with, and he uh, connects with those who've been oppressed. This is, a pro, this is a peaceful protest. And then here comes the military police interrupts his peaceful protest and arrests this black man for something they never should have arrested Jesus for. And y'all, I want you to understand, Jesus didn't get crucified because he claimed to be the Son of God. A bunch of folk in that day, and even in our day, claimed to be the Messiah and the Son of God. They didn't, he, he didn't get crucified for that. Jesus got crucified because he came and he started addressing the religious system and the social system and the political system and the economic system of that day. He said, this is wrong. Y'all just taking care of people at the top. I was hungry. You fed me. I was outdoors. You took me in. I was in prison. And he started addressing those systems. And when he started addressing those systems, next thing you know, he was being arrested. And now he's being beaten by the military police. They beat him and whipped him all night long. Here's an unarmed, innocent black man being beat down by the military police. Even when he stood before the judge, Pilate, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He's innocent. Why, if he's innocent, are you treating him like he's guilty? And all that took place, and on that cross, catching all that hell, Jesus said, into your hands, I can turn to God. As a matter of fact, he added father to it. In Psalm 31 and 5, it doesn't say father. Uh, they, they, that would have been the unthinkable and unspeakable for them. But Jesus added father to it. Father into your hand. I know what brothers and sisters are doing, but I still claim you as father. He's the only begotten of the father. And we know who Jesus, he's the son of God. He calls him father. He adds father. 
He, he says, I'm still in relationship with you regardless of what brothers and sisters have done to me. Don't allow what brothers and sisters do to you to get in the way of your relationship with your heavenly father. Just because men and women are wrong doesn't mean God is not right. Father, and he made it possible for you and I to add father to it. We don't just have to quote Psalm 31 and 5. We can say, Father, into your hand. Because when Jesus died on the cross, God raised him from the dead. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God becomes our Father. He said, when you pray, pray our Father. And that relationship with God will get you through all that you're up against in your life right now. It's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's very significant that in these hard, difficult times that we have to put it all in the hand of the Lord. And when Jesus did that, y'all, he was able to bounce back in the resurrection. He was able to rise above it in the ascension. And I'm, I'm letting you know right now, when you put it in the Lord's hand, it doesn't mean we don't get attacked, but it does mean that when it's all said and done, we're going to bounce back and still be standing. We'll be able to transcend all the hell that they're bringing in our lives. I'll close it like this because I know somebody, it's, it's been a long time in terms of your relationship with God and you're trusting the Father. Now here I'm talking about doing that and you feel like you strayed too far, you messed up too much. You, uh, let, me, let me help you understand something. Uh, in, in Portland, Oregon, there was this cat, Sasha the cat, beautiful black cat. And this cat ended up 1,300 miles away from Portland and its owner ended up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, 1,300 miles away. And Sasha, this beautiful black cat, uh, it, it was gone for five years. Five years later, the owner in Portland gets a phone call from New Mexico. Do you have a black cat? I, I found this cat, and I want to connect it to the owner. He said, yeah, that's my cat, but it's been five years. He's been gone, and that cat got back with his owner 1,200 miles away. And I know you're trying to figure out how in the world could that happen after five years like that. That's because when the owner first got the cat, put a microchip in his shoulder, Put something inside the cat just in case you stray too far, just in case you're too far gone, just in case you distance yourself from me, just in case you're gone for too long. And so long, I'm going to put something in you that you can always get back to your owner, always get back to me. And y'all, if cat owners have enough love for their cats to put something in them, to always get them back to their owners, how much more shall our Heavenly Father who loves us so much that when you believe Jesus down on the cross and you believe God raised him from the dead, he put his Holy Spirit in you. And I know you've distanced yourself from him. I, I know you've taken it too far. You didn't mean to go that far. I know it's been such a long time. But through the power of his Holy Spirit, you can get reconnected to God. And you can commit your soul into the hand of God and put it all in his hand. Your life is filled. With, with swift transitions, none on earth unmoved can stand. You got to build your hopes on things eternal and then hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to his hand, God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal and hold to God's unchanging hand.